0: If you were here last week, you know that we have begun a worship series uh, entitled Forgive, Forgiven. In this time of this four-week series, we will talk about uh, both the idea that we need forgiveness, but also have the need to offer that forgiveness to others. And uh, throughout this uh, particular sermon, um, there are several one-liners that I'm going to use that I think are helpful in understanding the nature of forgiveness. And those will be uh, on the screen for you to see when they come around. There is an insert in your bulletin that is that has your daily devotion on it, but also has space if you want to take notes. You can uh, take notes on there and, and uh, note those one-liners. They're just lines that help me. Um, Better understand what forgiveness is all about. We're going to be uh, this morning in the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter. That's the last chapter of the book of Genesis. I'm going to read uh, several verses, but not the full thing right away. I'll just read uh, the part that leads into um, this first part of portion of my sermon from Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the, God, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then the brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, We are your slaves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. To understand what was happening there, you you need to know the backstory, and you may be familiar with it. But let me tell you about it. Um, This is not Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, Joseph had um, a really bad uh, early life when he ran into his brothers and conflict with them. You see, what had happened was uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, and, and his wife, Rachel favored Joseph over the other brothers. Now, I remember as a child um, that uh, I was second to the youngest. I had three older siblings and one spoiled little brother. Right? We all assumed the brother was favored over the rest of us, and we assumed that probably for legitimate reasons, but wrong reasons. You see, our parents um, had... A son that was much younger than the rest of us. Well, he was only about five years younger than me, but, but I had siblings that were teenagers, and, and they would look at the way that, that my parents doted on the younger one. Why? Because they had done that with the older one when he was that age, and the next, and the next, myself, and then Larry. Because when a child is younger, you spend more time giving attention to them, right? Right? But don't we all look at our younger sibling and assume they're spoiled? Am I the only one? No, we look at our younger sibling and we assume they're spoiled. But in reality, it was mom and dad doing what they should do. Which is probably what they did with Joseph and his many older brothers. Except, they maybe took it a little too far. And they showed a lot of favoritism toward him. And that favoritism caused Joseph to think, I must be better than the rest. As a matter of fact, he had dreams saying he was better than the rest. And he went to his brothers one time as they were out in the fields working the crops or, or, or with the livestock. He went out to the fields to talk to his brothers. And he said, let me tell you about a dream I had. You're going to bow down to me. I won't give you all the details, but that's enough. That would be enough to irritate you as an older brother. Um, I beat up my little brother for less. And the older brothers got tired of this. And when Joseph was, let's say, an early teen, maybe 12, 13, somewhere in that range, the brothers beat him up rather severely and and then decide they're going to throw him down in a pit and kill him. And one of the brothers was sensible enough to go, Oh, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. Because that'd be much nicer than killing your brother. And they saw a caravan that was coming by, and it would have been a caravan that, that, that came through their area probably often, and they would be carrying uh, goods from an area they had purchased from. They'd be going to the next area to sell, and then to buy something there and take it back and to sell, and that distribution of product would make them uh, a profit. And, and among the things they would likely sell are other people in slavery. And this particular caravan was headed to Egypt, and And Joseph was sold to that caravan as a slave. And he went down to Egypt. And the brothers took his uh, beautiful, amazing Technicolor dream coat and dipped it into goat's blood and took it to dad and said, This is all that's left. The brother Joseph had a difficult time in Egypt for a while, it was not easy living. Until eventually, he finds favor with the Pharaoh. Now, if you think about these brothers and Joseph, these, Joseph and, and, and his family kind of came upon this sort of way of living life, honestly. Because, you see, you see, if you go back a few generations, you have Abraham and Sarah. And they favored Isaac, the younger brother, over Ishmael, the older brother. And Isaac and Rebekah favored Jacob, the younger brother, by minutes, a twin, over Esau, the older brother. And so when Jacob favors Joseph, he's just doing what mom and dad did. I love that passage. I don't love it. I recognize that passage in there where it says that the sin, God will visit the sins of the fathers on generation after generation. I don't think it means God's going to give the parents those sins. They're just going to live out what they learned from their parents. And Through that, Joseph is terribly abused and suffers mightily at the hands of his captors. For a while, Joseph suffers and likely thought once in a while about his brothers, don't you think? But Joseph doesn't go there in this story. Not where I would go. Not where we'd likely go. And this is where I have a couple of those one-liners I want to just throw at you. The first one is this, a lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Yeah, you laugh, but think about it. A lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. The second one is this, forgiveness, on the other hand, is like handing over the keys to a locked door and finding you were the one in prison. Forgiveness is like handing over the keys to a locked door and finding you were the one in prison. In order to move through that forgiveness, we need God's help. We need the Spirit of God to be in our life. We need, we need God's Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit is oftentimes we think about, um, maybe in a traditional Christianity, we think, I, I've invited Jesus into my heart. Well, um, in, in, in the way I understand it, uh, it's, it's not Jesus because he was human and that would get uncomfortable in your chest wall, but it, it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God you're inviting in. And it's the Spirit of God whose, whose task in our lives is to convict us of our wrongs And set us on a right path. Remember Pinocchio, let your, you know, Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide sitting on your shoulder. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Convicting you of your wrong and setting you on the right path, guiding you and and, and giving you a clear understanding of God's will for your life. We need the Holy Spirit to work through this, this whole idea of forgiveness, especially where families are involved, I had a pastoral care professor in seminary, uh, uh, Peggy Way. Uh, she was, Dr. Way was just, she's just a wonderful professor. Um, I learned so much from her. Um, but one of the things she said that I, I, I wrote down and, and I didn't put it up here as a note. But one of the things she said is, um, there's no such thing as a dysfunctional family. She said, every family functions. We just don't like the way some do. Well, Joseph was in one of those families that we don't like the way they functioned. And Joseph had to wrestle with, with his struggle with his brothers. And, and where do you go with that mess that, that is the, that rejection of your older brothers? I have a, an older brother, and I love him dearly. And, and it's because of him that I first came to Jesus Christ. And, and I have a deep respect for him, though we disagree quite a bit politically. I have a deep respect for him um, uh, um, and love for him. And what would it be like for him to betray me in that way? What's it like when your family members betray you in some way? For Joseph, here's what it was in another one of those one-liners. Forgiveness is relinquishing the right to vindication. Relinquishing the right to vindication. It is the conscious, active decision that I'm going to give up Whatever right to payback I think I have coming to me, I'm gonna surrender that to God. And it doesn't mean, (laughs) it doesn't mean I'm gonna pray, God, you strike them down, I'm not allowed. That's not what it means. It means I'm gonna surrender, I'm gonna give up the possibility that I'm gonna get payback. Look what Joseph does in in, uh, verses 19 to 21 of that same chapter. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do me harm, I'm sorry, do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear, I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Joseph relinquishes the right to vindication. He gives up the revenge that he surely could take, because at this point in his life, he is the number two guy in Egypt. He is second only to Pharaoh, and surely he could have just nodded in the right direction, and his brothers would be no more. Joseph gives up the right to vindication. He recognizes that the most evil and and hurtful acts of another can be used by God to change the trajectory of life. Now, I want to be clear that in my understanding of God, God didn't cause Joseph's situation. God didn't say, here's an idea, let's beat up Joseph and sell him into slavery so we can work this all out. I don't believe it works that way. I do believe that Joseph, knowing this about Joseph, it's clear in all of the struggles that Joseph had throughout his life before this point, he never was unfaithful to God. He maintained his relationship with God, he held tight to it even when it wasn't to his advantage. He decides to align himself with the things of God. And when you align yourself to the the things of God and allow God to use you, even the pain you've suffered, especially the pain you've suffered at the hands of family, if you allow God to use you, God can make some incredible, life-saving things come out of that. God can, can, can change the world through you, or at least change the world for other people. You know, in our lives, as we've been, been talking about this, uh, uh, this whole story of, of forgiveness, we've used rocks as, as the metaphor and, and, uh, and this backpack as, a, as maybe an idea of, of your soul. And, and, and the rock, the rock is the unforgiveness in our life that we carry around as in a backpack. And we just add to it time and again. And then we put it on and just, we live with the weight upon us. We feel the weight weighing us down. I'm not going to drop it like I did last week for those of you scared. In our lives, sometimes there are, there are these, these, little, these little things that happen. These little things that happen in our life. And we still stuff those in our backpack and imagine when you get enough of those. join it. And in our life there are those mid-sized things that take place. Those things where it was a hurt from a family that we just can't seem to forget. We can't seem to give up. And we carry it around even though it's not insurmountable, yet we carry it around and add it to our pack. Now, some of you, not all of you, some of you have maybe suffered under the boulders of pain that have happened to you. Again, at the hands of family members. And those boulders are so large, so heavy, that no matter how hard we chip away at them, they don't break or go away. Maybe we can hope, maybe we can hope there's, there's just a little bit of sand that comes off of it. But it doesn't seem to be solved. Medium, those, those medium rocks are what most of us deal with. The small ones, cast them aside folks. So what she puts the toilet paper roll on wrong. Cast that aside. So what she does that even after you remind her, <laughs> cast it aside. But those medium ones are the the things that people have said, the unpleasant words that you've heard those medium ones are the the physical harm that that you were put in at some point or it's but but not permanent those medium ones are those those ones that we carry around more often most of us have those rather than the big boulders and and what do we do with those medium ones and even what do we do with the boulders and I'm going to I'm going to today um not like Ice Tea or Ice Cube or Vanilla Ice or anybody more recent than those guys um I want to talk to you about uh, an acronym, RAP, and actually it's going to be RAPS, um, uh, R-A-P-S, an acronym that might help you begin down the road of forgiveness. Now, this is for anybody, but it, in the idea of family, begin down that road. The first, the R, is remember what you have done. Remember what you have done. Remember that you're not squeaky clean. I'm pretty sure we don't have anybody that's a candidate for uh, sainthood here today. Oh, no, we're all saints, right? Because we're followers of Jesus Christ, we're saints. But maybe not the best example to be followed. Remember, you've done things too. Let's let's just add a little humility to our moment of forgiveness. The second is, assume the best. Have you ever heard the phrase... Um, We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. I may do something that comes out completely stupid and offensive and not had intended it at all, and therefore I'm in the right. However, if you do the same thing to me, you're in the wrong. Remember what you've done, (laughs) And then assume the best for the other. Assume it wasn't their intention. I think that's the biggest uh, problem that we have in, in politics today, and I don't want to go down that road except for to say that, that we assume ill will on the part of the other. And I'm not sure everybody lives their life looking for a reason to hurt someone. I'd say most of us don't. Some maybe. But most of us aren't looking for a reason to hurt someone or to hurt a group of people. Assume the best, even when it hurts you. The next is pray for the other. Pray for the other. So, fast forward a thousand years or so after Joseph and uh, uh, the people of Israel find themselves in captivity in, in Babylon. They're slaves. And and one of them writes a, a, a psalm, Psalm 137. And uh, uh, curiously enough, I've remembered uh, one verse of maybe two verses of Psalm 137, uh, because it reminds me that it's okay to pray a prayer that's angry. It's okay to say, "God, I am angry at that person." You see, the people in Israel are sl- the people from Israel are slaves in Babylon, and they're angry at their captors. And here's what they say in that psalm. Now remember, psalms are are words that are, are shared in worship. This is worship words. Ready for it? O Babylon, you devastator, blessed are they who pay you back. Blessed are they who dash your children's heads against rocks. Holy cow, that's in your Bible. I would follow up with, it's okay to say it. It's important to pray it. Don't follow through. See, God wants you to be just that raw and honest in your emotions. But follow it up. With God, I am so angry at them. And I pray that you will show them the error of their way. I pray that you will redeem them for a better purpose. I pray that you will use them for good and not the evil I've experienced. It's okay to start with, let me tell you, God, how angry I am. The Bible's clear about that. I don't think you get more difficult than dashing children's heads against the rocks. But how you follow up that prayer, pray for the other, and finally seek to understand. And this is the part that I I think that we, we do the least um, I, I think that uh, it is rare that when somebody offends us, we say, let's go out to lunch. I want to ask you why. I want to talk to you about this. I want to know what was going through your mind because I've been hurt, and I just I, I want to give you the opportunity to share with me. Uh, and, and not from an accusing point of view, but wouldn't it be nice if you knew their intention, like I said before, wouldn't it be nice if you knew their intention was not to hurt you, even though it came out that way? I've had those conversations where I've been on the other end and found myself saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Recognizing that my intent was much different than the way it was felt. But don't try this alone. This is intended to be done with the Spirit of God within you. Intended that you say, God, I'm going through this. I need you to walk it with me. As a matter of fact, I need you to guide me along the way. You're asking God that, to make a way in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of suffering from people you love the most, from people who are supposed to teach you what love means. It's not easy, and you'll need an amount of grace to overcome that hurt that you've experienced. Joseph's carrying boulders. I don't know, okay, I, I, I don't want to compare it, but I'd say being sold into slavery by your brothers is a big deal. And maybe you've felt enslaved by the pain that somebody has put upon you, especially somebody that's supposed to love you. Most of us don't have those boulders, and some do. My personal experience with, with praying with families in the church and, 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 uh, and walking that walk, with others have been stories of abuse and, and stories of divorce and, and stories of uh, um, betrayal. And those that don't deal with the pain brought on by the action or inaction of others experience that pain on and on as they carry the pack of unforgiveness. Joseph's parents didn't directly harm him, but lived out a heritage in their life that caused Joseph to feel pain. And Joseph did something to turn that pain into a forgiveness that brings life. He could see God's hand at work. Not in the bad that had taken place, but in the opportunity that presented itself afterwards that he took advantage of. He could see that this was going to work out according to God's purposes. God's at work when we allow God to work through us. We have two real choices. We can choose to hurt people. Have you, have you ever heard that line, hurt people hurt people? We can choose to hurt people, or we can choose not to and allow God to work. The cross is a, is a symbol of the, the mess of humanity. The cross is a symbol of bigotry, of, of, of anger, of oppression, of hatred, of injustice. Of one who takes on all of the sin of the world, and through God Christ turns it to become the great symbol of hope. Jesus hangs on the cross and asks for forgiveness for them. There's a town outside of Nazareth. Uh, It's it's in ruins now, but I've been there. It's called Sepphoris. Maybe some of you have been to Sepphoris. Sepphoris was a a town that... um, uh, Nazareth was just a village. Today it's a pretty big town, but... Nazareth was just a little village in Jesus' day, and outside of that village was a town, just a a, a short walk away, where um, the Romans, uh, wealthy Romans, were building up their houses. It was an expanding part of the Roman Empire where people of of wealth and means were were able to come and and, uh, uh, grow their lives, and so they brought in local labor from towns like Nazareth to do the construction of their houses and their their rest of their city. We often think of Jesus as a carpenter, and, and I think part of the reason for that is that, uh, well, part of it's translation, but um, th- the reason for that is we're familiar with wood, and we do a lot of construction with wood. I, I don't know if there's any wood in this building. It's all steel and, and drywall, but uh, there's wood on the doors. I guess that counts. Um, but, but we're familiar with wood, but, but I've been to Sepphoris. There wasn't a lot of trees, I've been all over Israel. There aren't a lot of trees. So most of their construction was stonework supported by some timbers. Or timbers supported by stonework. Actually, the Greek word that's used in in, um, the, the New Testament for, we translate carpenter, is tekton. Tekton. The tekton is the craftsman. A Tecton is a craftsman is a, a person who works with whatever is nearby to construct. And if stone is the most plentiful product, they use stone. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful way to understand that Jesus was a stone worker. He's one that can take those stones of your life and craft them into something more beautiful. Than the pain that you're carrying. Invite the Holy Spirit to work with you in seeking to offer forgiveness to others. Amen and amen.